Hello everyone, this is Austin from the WPB Consulting Podcast. Just like as our previous podcasts have been going, we want to inform you of our mission here at WPB. Our vision is to connect our listeners and clients to high-performance practitioners to promote and inspire health and wellness that will assist you guys in improving your lifestyle performance for now and into the future. On today's podcast, we will be discussing some areas of research with fellow scholar and strength and conditioning coach Jake Hurst. Jake is currently finishing his master's at St. Ambrose University in December in Davenport, Iowa, and in addition is a strength coach at Augustana College in Rock Island, Illinois. We'll discover more in-depth practical application research analysis in the sport of baseball. So without further ado, let's get excited and hear what Jake has to say today. All right, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? This is Austin from the WPB Consulting Podcast. Today we have a special guest an awesome researcher and friend and colleague, former baseball pro at Central College, <laughs> Jake Hurst. How are we doing today, Jake? Not too bad, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah. So for our listeners who do not know who you are, please give them uh, like a two-minute summary, if that's possible, of your what you're doing now and tell us a little bit more about yourself. Yeah, for sure. So like Austin said, I played baseball at Central. Um, him and I did a couple of research projects together during our undergrad. Um, so right now, kind of building off of what I did at Central, um, I'm getting my master's from St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. Um, that's going to be an exercise physiology, um, finishing up that in December. And then um, while I've been doing that, I've been coaching baseball over at Augustana College, which is in Rock Island, Illinois, just right across the river there. Um, and then um, so I'm going to be entering my second year there this fall. And then um, kind of on the side with that, I've been doing some sports performance training just at a smaller gym um, in a little town right next to um, Davenport. So kind of all over the place, getting my feet wet and a bunch of different stuff. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Jake's got a very diverse background in the field of uh, exercise science and more of strength conditioning too, as well. He has a CSCS. Uh, so for those who don't know the CS. Uh, CSCS is by the NSA. It's a certified strength conditioning coach. Um, it's pretty legit, um, I would say. <laughs> um, but ultimately, like, we'll talk about a ton of different things today. So I hope you're in for the ride. So let's get started then today. So Jake, for first question for you. Um, yep. As a current student, a master's student, are there certain environmental triggers that assist you in per- performing um, improving performance in school or your, you know, your performance in the gym or performance for your athletes? Is there certain environmental triggers? Yeah. And I, th- I think environment's really huge on, I mean, anything that you're trying to do. So like when I'm trying to study, if I have like a bunch of different stuff going on around me, like I have to have that like quiet space, like that set space. Otherwise I know I'm not going to be productive. Right. So just kind of trying to figure out like what works best for me. So like, especially like so like at central like I knew like the certain places that I could go on campus like kind of hunker down into my little hole and just like grind things out so like I think that was the harder part like going to Ambrose like right away like trying to find like a different spot like trial and error like this works this doesn't so just definitely trying to find somewhere that like allows you to focus and like minimize the distractions and stuff like that and then I think like kind of applying that to like strength conditioning or even at baseball like how can I like how, how can we as coaches or um, like build an environment that like there is, there is just like, it, it just breeds and it just like forces like concentration and focus. And I think that comes from 
like limiting outside noise and things like that and just kind of promoting different different things in that nature i guess yeah that's a that's a great response i think to that question i think <clears throat> as students especially in in graduate programs it's it's a little bit of, a, of an adjustment to say the oh, least for, yeah um, for sure. so exactly what you said you know finding finding your niche ultimately it sounds like is what works best for you um yeah. i'm very similar to in regard to studying like you are like i have to be like focused in a solitary <laughs> solitary space yeah, right. um no distractions kind of thing whereas some people can study you know in a very loud like coffee shop or so i yeah. can't do that it's just yeah. that's just the way i am but also like you said within the sports you know, dynamic, you know, making sure that your team has a strong team chemistry and environment that's going to assist your program moving forward. Maybe not necessarily directly or right away, but long-term. So, right. For sure. Awesome. Kind of, just, kind of just building on that. I'm thinking like, if you think about like the, like warmups and kind of how like the, the progression of all that like goes, like you have like kind of their general warmup where they're off by themselves, kind of chatting and things like that. And then kind of as that warmup progresses, kind of locking it in, kind of getting into more like higher amplitude things and things like that. And then just kind of, I mean, allowing them to have like, I mean, cause I'm coaching at the D3 level. So you have to understand like there's, there's that fun aspect of it, but at the same time, we're here to get things done. We're here to win baseball games or we're here to get better. So it's like, I, I, I don't like being, I mean, I think it's me being, 23 years old still and like still having like that idea of like I'm here to have fun like I'm here to do these things but at the same time like there's a reason we're here and we got to get work done so it's like trying to find that happy medium especially for me like being a year or two older than some of these guys um not necessarily trying to be that hard-ass coach that's like no talking during warm-up but at the same time making sure that it's a focused conversation or like they're conversing about say how their swing's feeling instead of what they're going to go do after practice and things like right. that. Yeah, for sure. Um, that's, that's great. And thanks. Thanks for giving us that insight. Um, Cause I feel like, especially as young coaches, especially it's like exactly what you said. You're, you know, you're a couple of years older than the athletes that you're working with. So right. it's, it's a different dynamic than an individual who's, you know, 40 years old, who's had several years under their belt. It's like finding where, where you work best, but um Okay, next question, transition into that. How has physical fitness and wellness impacted your life in regard to uh, school, um, athletics, business, or anything in regard to those fields? Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, we're in the fitness world, man. It's definitely molded how, or like really what I want to do with my life. Like I knew, like, I've always been an athlete, like for my whole life, I've played sports, played baseball, football played hockey for like three months before I quit. Like I've kind of gotten my feet wet with a bunch of different stuff. Right. So like I knew like, like, and I mean, every kid, like, Oh, I'm going to be a pro athlete. But like at some, like for most people at some point that has to kind of transition into something else. And I think for me that happened probably my around, my, probably my freshman year at central, maybe towards the end of my senior year in high school or like, I came into college. I'm like, Oh, I want to do physical therapy thinking like, Oh, physical therapist, you're going to work with a ton of athletes. Like that's kind of where I wanted to be. And then kind of getting into like more, the more I got into it, the more I realized it wasn't necessarily like that, the niche field that I wanted it to be. And it was a lot more like, not necessarily that you're only working with like older populations or more general populations, but that's what I'm going to say. Probably a majority of your, your athlete or your, your clientele is depending, obviously depending on, on where you're at, but, so kind of that's kind of the progression I had. So and then trying to find out what I want to do from there, 
I knew I loved baseball. I started coaching baseball at Assumption, where I graduated high school from my freshman year after, after my freshman year of college at Central. So I kind of got my feet wet in that. I was like, okay, I like this, but is this what I want to do? So and then I think that's where kind of fitness came in because, like, I graduated high school weighing, like, 150 pounds. So I knew – and then, like, getting the Central, like, the incredible strength conditioning program that Coach Johnson and Coach Friday have kind of developed there, like, understanding, like, how big of a role that really plays in the development of athletes. I think, like, if I'm thinking, like, where I could have started – like, if I would have started that, like, my freshman year of high school rather than, like, my junior year in track, like, how much better I would have been – like moving forward, even if it was, whether it was baseball or whether it was running track in college, like whether like, you know what I mean? Like what it could have progressed to mm-hmm. if I would have started that progression sooner. So mm-hmm. I think the big thing is like my big thing, like big takeaway from like just those first, like late high school, early college years is like, how can I like facilitate or promote like strength conditioning, especially in baseball, because like, you hear so often like, Oh, I don't think you're hearing as much anymore, but really when I was in high school, like don't lift heavy, don't lift overhead. Like you're going to get bulky and all these different things like these kind of like fabricated, like they're like anecdotal, not really like, there's not really any truth behind them, but these like, like just those belief systems of certain coaches. And it's like, how can I, like, what can I do to kind of limit that thought process in coaches? And I think that's where it kind of stems from. Like, and, and kind of where I wanted to, or where I decided that I wanted to coach and really, especially like make that impact at the lower level and then see how high I can make you. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I definitely agree with you on so many different levels in regard to that response. I think three things that kind of really stuck out to me in that is, well, especially like a division three level. Um, I think a lot of, there's a lot of misconceptions about how, athletes train at the division three level, especially from like a high school or outside. If you didn't participate in division three athletics, it's a little bit different perspective. Right. Yeah. The training, they don't understand. I don't think a lot of general population understand the training intensity within it. It's just as much as a division two or division one athlete. It's just, we don't necessarily have the perks. (laughs) Right. That's that's a great way to look at it. Um, But like you said, like baseball wise, like the, I think the dogma or the theories behind, you know, ultimately like, why are we doing these programs? Um, Don't lift overhead. Yeah. That's a great, like, especially like pitchers. Right. That I think that is something that when I was in high school that I can definitely say that was when I played baseball, 100% like that was our coaches were like, yeah, you can't lift overhead. (laughs) Right. And it's just the most absurd thing when like three quarters of the sport happens overhead. It's like, yeah, don't be strong there. (laughs) Right. And then they're like, oh, well, now I got tendonitis because I didn't use any exercise to prevent that. But it's like, oh, Jesus. But anyways, um, yeah, there's so much misconceptions out there. But, you know, that's the goal of this podcast is to right. get up the, the topics. But all right. Uh, to kind of continue, um, I think the next kind of question is how important – and I think in baseball this is huge. Um, so you can elaborate a little bit more on this. But how important is maintaining like a mental edge, quote-unquote, or a psychological discipline during competition, um, school as an school life balance as, a, as an athlete? And this can go from Division three to Division one. Um, just maintaining it. How important is maintaining a mental edge or psychological discipline, you know? I mean, it's, it's huge. I think the – I mean, like you said, baseball, like I think Yogi Berra said it, baseball is 90% mental and the other half is physical. Like it's one of those things like 
it's just like there's so many things that can go wrong in a baseball game and really any sport and anything in life like if you don't have that, that strong mental capacity to like either sit there and just simply shrug something off or 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 like critically look at something and like compare it to the bigger picture of things like if you don't have that ability i don't think you're gonna really like it's just gonna be difficult to really develop what in any aspect like if whether it's school or whether it's baseball whether it's anything you know what i mean if you don't have that mental edge to, to push past things push past things and things get difficult i think you're setting yourself up for failure and i think it's one it's really weird because like baseball i mean you hear it all the time like mental approach mental approach mental approach but it's like how many coaches actually sit down and like discuss what composes a mental approach you know what i mean like and i think something coach sherm does a really good job of at central is he kind of almost not necessarily forces you but he kind of facilitates that discussion and gives us opportunity and coach deutscher was really good at it as well kind of um whether it was visual visualization or whether it was like scripting things out of how you wanted things to go or how you could like see things going or um like having like a, a roadmap or like um, we use like a stoplight analogy of um, for like a mental approach, like when you could kind of see things or how you saw things progressing. So like if, so say I had like a two strikeout game and then like in the first game of a double header, like how was I going to, what was I going to do to make sure that that didn't happen again in that first game didn't carry over the second game or even from at bat to at bat. So having like different processes and things like that, that really make sure that, you're you're living in the moment and like we always say like I mean I was taught it we I teach my guys now like that that one pitch approach like you're focusing on this pitch and this pitch only once this pitch is over I mean in baseball between pitches you have maybe 30 seconds you have 30 seconds to learn from it kick it out of your brain and then move on to the next pitch and that's kind of I I think I kind of use that analogy even in whether like so say for class like if I have a bad test like okay what did I miss on this test? Why did I miss this? And what can I do to make sure that I don't, first off, what can I make sure, do to make sure that I actually retain that information? And then what can I do to make sure I'm doing better on that test? Because I mean, anymore, I mean, even at the undergraduate level, everything's progressive and everything builds off of each other. So if you're struggling on those first tests, better make sure you're learning it. So you understand that stuff later on. So. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. I think, and I think ultimately like, as exactly what you said is like responding to this, being able to react to the situation that you're in is so important as an athlete, as a student, as in the, in the field, working field, as a business leader, um, you know, you determine your reaction. Oh, ultimately. Sure. you have the power of choice. It's crazy how impactful that is because I think, I think, I think example is like, especially in baseball, you think you see it like major league baseball players throwing their helmets or like throwing their bat at the, you know, they're frustrated and that that's how they respond to that. That's a reaction. Mm -hmm. um, whereas some like the best, I think of like a closing pitcher, for example, like Mariano Rivera, for example, like, you, I mean, he's still like arguably one of the greatest closers of all time, but like, there's a lot of, um, issues that he had to face too as a closer like he still he lost games like sure. but he was able to respond in a way that wasn't destructive to the team or like a highly emotional um so but yeah. I think yeah. even, even on top of that like I think a lot of times people think like I mean like because you kind of said like emotional they're like I think even there's times where like 
people think of like mental toughness and mental like stability and things like that. And I think they almost think of like an emotional, like an emotionalist player. Like they just go through things like kind of even kill. But I like, I think that's, that's really important to kind of limit the, like the peaks and valleys and things. But I think there obviously has to be some sort of like ebb and flow. And I like, for me, I was always like an emotional, like, I was a pretty emotional player. Like I would not that I would get like super upset or anything, but like I'd get pretty fired up. And there's times like, I think there's a time and a place to get kind of fired up and like, whether it's like flipping a switch and like getting super pissed off at yourself. So then everybody else sees like, okay, he's fired up. How can, like, what can I do to either help him or make sure that that doesn't happen to somebody else? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And on the flip side, like making sure you're picking, constantly picking guys up, like getting fired up, like, Somebody makes a sweet ass diving catch in the, like the the hole, mm-hmm. like go pick them up, get fired up, like yeah. get everybody going because like nobody wants to like baseball games are so damn long. Like who wants to sit there like super even keel like like four hours? True. Yeah. Like, like putting like I I don't know. I was always like a big like have fun while you're out there, joke around a little bit, like get fired up, maybe get madder so often, but make sure like for the most part, keeping that even keel and just making – because I think if you have those mechanisms in there to kind of bring yourself back to center, like, then those peaks and valleys, they're not as steep, right? So, then you're kind of – you're more around it and then you know how to bring yourself right back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100% agree with that. So, um, all right, let's transition into the next question. Um, So, this is more of, like, research-based. And I think this comes down to more of – the epidemic of obesity. So in regard to evidence-based studies um, that you've seen, how impactful is understanding the epidemic of obesity in, in the United States, like as a exercise practitioner? I mean, I think it's pretty big. I know this one's tough because I don't, I mean, this is like stuff we all obviously learn like pound into our head, but like I personally haven't had a ton of like practical experience with like the general population or anything. So like, I know, like, and, like, even, like, in my family, like, we don't really have a ton of, like, obesity or, like, I mean, overweights, whatever, but, like, none of, like, serious, like, like, just serious, like, type 2 diabetes, hypertension, things like that. There's not a ton of it, like, that I personally deal with, but I think you obviously have to be conscious of it because you're going to get athletes with diabetes. You're going to get overweight athletes and, like, mm-hmm. even, so whether it's in the, like, general population or in an athletic setting, like you have to be conscious of it and you have to understand that there there's obvious limitations to what they can do, mm-hmm. whether it's because of the medication that they're on or whether they just physically can't squat. Mm-hmm. So like what, like it, and then it, I think it just comes down to the progression and regressions of um, exercises and things like that. And just making sure like starting as simple as possible is just like, if they can't walk up or down a flight of stairs without getting gassed, just walk with them, you know what I mean? And just figure out things that they can physically do that are one going to facilitate maybe some hormonal rest, hormonal responses that are going to make them feel better while um, kind of kickstarting everything. And then I think we did, read some studies my first semester, just looking at the impact of like diet versus exercise and weight loss. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, it's easy to it's, I mean, it's, I think it's really easy for us to say, just exercise, 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 and you should lose weight. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, I think so many people have this concept that if they exercise, no matter, no matter how much, maybe not no matter how much it is, but if they exercise, they can kind of eat whatever they want, like the rest of the day, when really, 
if you look at like the the calories burnt during like a run it's 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 really not that great like it's it's i mean you're burning something and it's obviously really good but i think it comes down to diet and like i just got done taking a nutrition class that's kind of fresh in my head but just diet and nutrition can just be so overwhelming because there's so many small nuances and like there's so many specific things that can go into a diet and that can throw it off but like at the end of the day if if you're doing something that is sustainable so like for me i could never picture doing the keto diet but some people live and they swear by it because they they're able to sustain it Mm -hmm. same thing with like the atkins diet like some some people love their carbs and just physically cannot do the Atkins diet, but other people, they can live without them and they lose a bunch of weight with it. So I think the big thing is just making sure like one exercising to first off, just kind of kickstart everything. And I I mean, it's a healthy habit to have like exercise, make everything work better. Right. Mm -hmm. And then just, I think hammering nutrition is huge in that population. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, you don't, you don't get, you don't gain a bunch of weight by exercise. Oh, I mean, you can, but, you don't gain a bunch of fat mass by exercising, right? You get there usually by eating a bunch of stuff, over-consuming, and kind of just unhealthy dietary habits. Right. So I think the big thing, especially in that population, hammering down on that because that's that's where it starts, and I think that's the underpinning behind all of it. And obviously, there's some sort of genetic there's, – there's obviously genetic underpinnings behind it, but mm-hmm. I think some of those can be limited. If you're sitting there eating the right things all the time, I think the, the genetic input can probably be minimized. Yeah, I totally agree. I think based on the research that we look at too, especially in the general population, it's understanding like, you know, it's, it's not whether or not a diet is better or worse for you. It's not, not comparing diets. And cause the, the clinical definition of a diet is different than what the general populations perceive. Yeah, for sure. So a, a diet is hopefully a lifelong commitment, whereas some people in the general part, they're like, ah, let's do it for six weeks. See where it goes. Like a cleanse, quote unquote, a cleanser. Like, let's do keto diet. Let's, let's do a deep weeks. cleanse. Yeah, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. I just, oh, oh, it frust- I shouldn't be biased, but it frustrates me as an exercise practitioner because it's not promoting lifelong sustainability, like you said. So I could talk literally all day about it. But ultimately, I think from understanding first calories in, calories out, that's yeah. the, you know, no matter what you do, like, Thinking of food as energy, I think is that is what you, as an athlete, you may need to look into more, right? Yep. Um, in detail. Whereas a general population, it's educating, like food sure. is energy. Like you're right. using it to to move, and you're using it, to, and like totally. We talk about total energy expenditure. What makes that up? And so there's like the main components of that, but ultimately it's counting calories. And I know counting calories itself sucks. <laughs> like right. it's not enjoyable, but like it's, it is a lifestyle habit to be aware of like, Hey, if I'm looking at a nutrition label, like if I can understand like this is a lot of calories and this is not, what am I going to be like? How can I make the decisions to use this or incorporate into my, my daily nutrition? Oh, for and sure. So, and then, yeah. And then even like considering like just thinking calories, like even considering what, like, composes those calories like i was talking to one of the assistant coaches over at augie the other day and he's like yeah i'm gonna try to lose some weight i'm like oh nice and then kind of asked him about his game plan and things like that and he's like oh i'm just gonna limit calories I'm like, okay you can limit calories all you want but if 40 percent of those calories are coming from fat and you're still consuming a bunch of carbs and you're not getting into keto like it's like 
you know what I mean? Just kind of naturally like eating hard or like calories, you may not get where you want to be. And like, I think that's the big thing is understanding like all foods essentially break down into the three macronutrient categories. So like understanding like how, like how, I mean, it's just one of those things like it's tough because you want them to understand, but at the same time, you don't want to give them the nutrition textbook and say, this right. is what you know, because really they don't need to know it. But at the same time, it's going to help you, mm-hmm. I think, understand and then give you more of like a, I think if, when people understand why they're doing something, they're more likely to, like, they're more likely to stay to it rather yeah. than me handing you a nutrition pack and say, this is going to lose you 10 pounds, mm-hmm. do it. And then it's like, okay, but why am I doing it? I yeah, it's, it's, why. it's an interesting dynamic you have to play with. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, but exactly what you said, like, as a, I think from we're going to probably discuss a little bit more into the athlete perspective, but like mm-hmm. as an athlete, if you're not consuming enough, especially like protein in right. your macronutrients that make up your total calories, right. like you're not going to perform maybe as well as, as an individual who is containing or consuming the correct amount of protein right. or carbohydrates or whatever. Um, it's just, it just comes, I think looking at from a bodybuilding perspective, so many bodybuilders, like they do what's called, if it fits your macros, which makes sense. Like in, in that's, but that's also a diet trend. People that, the, that's something that like people are like fads about, like if it fits right. your macros or flexible dieting or keto right. dieting. So understanding, like reaching out to exercise practitioners like ourselves, like if it's in regard to athletics or if it's in regard to the general health and wellness fields, like reaching out, seeking advice because we want to educate you on that. So, um, okay. So let's go into the next question. Um, we'll do two more questions and then we'll wrap everything up. How's that sound? Sounds good. Okay. So this is big. (laughs) So I think this question for you is more nutrition based. We'll keep going off the nutrition train here. Right. Um, in regard to the sports supplement industry, how informed do you feel consumers, like the general population, are in regard to purchasing or understanding the information about sports supplementation? Man, that's that's that loaded question, right? Because people always like the sport, like supplements are one of those crazy things because they're technically regulated but it's they're really you just have to rely you have to basically rely on the supplement industry like the company that you're really buying that supplement from because that's who comes to it unless people are like dying from their supplement or like getting ill from their supplement then they're likely not going to have to change anything of it because they're not like the fda is not going to step in unless that happens right so like i think that I don't know. Like I know uh, it's just one of those tough questions. Cause I know even as like when I was an athlete, like before I really got into like a couple nutrition classes and things like that, like I'm buying like the trending stuff on bodybuilding.com or like I'm buying like a lot of what people buy, I think is based off of word of mouth advertisement things like that. And I think you get in trouble when people are taking three scoops of Jekyll and Hyde before a workout. It's like, that is like 600 milligrams of caffeine, a bunch of beta alanine and a bunch of other stuff. Like it's just crazy to think. Oh, well, and then you get into the fact that they don't necessarily list everything that's in the, in the container and in the product and things like that. And I think, especially when you get into those really intense supplements, like I think that's where you start getting less knowledge and less, a really less, I guess, information 
um, especially in the, in the general population. Cause I know even as like a fitness professional, like I'm, I'm still overwhelmed by some of the, the different types of supplements out there. And you look at all like the different types of fat burners and all these different things. And like really the, the, the things that work and have continually worked, you look at creatine, you look at whey protein, and those are like the two that those work. Beta alanine's pretty good. BCAs are pretty good. You can, I mean, you can find stuff on both sides of the fence on those, but uh, like when you're looking at like all that other stuff, like even caffeine, like aerobically, like distance wise, you see a lot of, a lot of benefits, but I think like you're looking at strength conditioning, other things like that, like, or like more like anaerobic based um, activities. Like there hasn't been a ton of evidence to support like even the use of caffeine. So it's just one of those things like there's, the the research on it is so varied that it and you look that it's just hard to tell really what you can recommend to somebody and positively say that this is going to work you know what i mean yeah i i think the research that we look into i think honestly like the supplements i'll just name off a couple supplements that i think and this is supplement this is what i should disclaim a supplement you do not i don't think anyone necessarily needs a supplement unless they have a nutrient deficiency that's yeah. that's the big thing so if you have a nutrient deficiency or say you're balanced say you have a nutrient balanced diet or whatever if you have a nutrient balanced diet and you want to quote up your game or slightly improve your performance in let's say a sport or activity you can consider an ergogenic aid or ergogenic aid is a supplement. Right. But for like the general population, we'll go general population, then athletic population. So gen, general population adding in a nutrition supplement. So like vitamin D, for example, like a lot of people who live north of, I think it's Missouri. Yeah. The Missouri border. So if they live north of that, they, they suffer from lack or they don't suffer. They just have a nutrient deficiency in vitamin D just right. because of the, the way the sun hits the, the earth. Sun. iodine is south of the missouri border so they have lack of salt in their diet so there's those those deficient or efficiencies so that's where they suggest like drink or eating or using a supplement now if you're not tested for this is the thing get tested for deficiencies (laughs) like a dietitian or referring yourself this is out of my scope of practice and i always discuss like dietitians doctors getting that I mean, it's not required, but just think of something to think about. Um, okay, in regard to athletic performance, caffeine, I think caffeine, beta alanine, creatine, those are what look I see that are significantly, um, statistically significant in research, what I, what I see yeah. um, for athletic performance. They improve athletic performance. Um, looking at like time trial, I always think of running track, yeah. um, any like, Reaction times, things like that. Yes, uh, exactly. So, like, I've seen uh, studies within, like, shooting and whatnot, and I can talk all day about it, but ultimately it's seeking, like you said, like, understanding where are you getting the supplement from? That's the great question. Or is it first, is it third-party reviewed? I always talk about third-party reviewers. Is there a lab that's researching this supplement um, and using it in their lab to check performance? Or is it just like, oh, it's like, quote, pixie dust, yeah. as the as the bro sciences uh pixie dust or i'm throwing in a bunch of random stuff like it could be creatine citrulline malate arginine stuff like that am i throwing it all dietary blend that 
isn't actually anything. It's just some filler. Exactly. So looking at the nutrition label, is it a proprietary blend that has been tested? If it's not, it's like, eh, is it worth your money? <laughs> or you're just peeing it out, right? Um, and I was going to bring this up here one second. I, I just saw, and this is kind of crazy. Um, someone published, I'm going to check this out real quick. But someone just, I wanted to bring this up in this podcast. So someone just published uh, this, this picture of information in regard to uh, inadvertent doping. So inadvertent doping, otherwise known as you're, you're using, you're, you're getting from your supplements, you're getting information or you're getting extra or anabolic effects of doping in your work, in your supplements. So I'm going to just read these statistics off. 84% of athletes um, in sports supplement in, in the sports supplement industry use protein, creatine, and pre-workouts. 84%. Uh, and this study was done by the uh, United Kingdom Anti-Doping Agency. 44% of the U United Kingdom Anti-Doping Agency's te te uh, te pa or excuse me, Jesus, um, tests were positive in doping cases. 44%. So these were prohibited sub substances and supplements. Um, so in research, one in 10 has shown some supplements may be contaminated with substances prohibited in sport and therefore present a risk to athletes. And this is caused by products are inadvertently contaminated through poor raw ingredient sourcing and or inadequate manufacturing procedures. So exactly what you just said, Jake, like, understanding where you get the supplement from because let's say you have a drug test. I, I mean, at central, they drug tested us yeah, right. for, for um, random drug testing for athletes. Um, and I know they do at divisions all across the United States and into the UK, they drug test, but understanding like, Hey, from a, from a doping agency standpoint, some of your supplements could be in trouble, but being aware of where you get your information from, that's, that's right. big. So, yeah so to wrap things up with that question yes misinformation <laughs> right lots of it yeah so seek out people who you know seek our seek out ourselves <laughs> so Mostly, um, if you look at like the issn and you look at other like websites like the information's out there on on like you said finding third-party reviewed supplements and things like that and just making sure like you know what you're taking like pre-work like i took pre-workout probably my freshman year of college and after that like i quit taking pre-workout just because well, first off i wasn't really a big fan of taking it like it didn't make me feel great but even and then just like having nutrition talks with like coach friday and coach johnson like really what you're you're wanting from that pre-workout is caffeine anyways mm -hmm. so just take a caffeine pill have a cup of coffee and just get something that you know like you know what's going to be in a caffeine pill you know what's going to be in a coffee a cup of coffee so just take that and get rid of all the other filler and save yourself 30 bucks. Mm -hmm. Yep. I, I totally agree with you. Okay. So let's do one more question and then we'll wrap things up here. Okay. So this last question is what are some improvements in the competition community or in your case, baseball that you would like to see improvements in? Is it in regard to technology rules and regulations or is it in regard to strength conditioning, uh, misconceptions, or performance-related standards? Yeah, for sure. So the big thing in baseball right now is definitely like 
I'm so I coach hitting and I coach outfielders. So outfield is kind of one of those things. Like it is what it is. It's defense. Like there's there's ways to coach it. So there's not like a ton like on the field that I think really needs to change with that. Um, so like hitting is really like batting is where kind of my niche is really falling because just looking at, I mean, if I look at how I was taught to hit like my whole life leading up, like even in like my early years, like at central, like how I was taught to hit probably wasn't the most biomechanically efficient way to hit. You know what I mean? So like looking at like, so like right now hitting is going through this big revolution or this big evolution, I should say of like like you hear the words launch angle, you hear the words exit velocity, you just hear a lot more like batted ball characteristic, like metrics thrown out there. And I think that's, that's kind of where the game's going. And I think I would love to see just like a more open-minded like consideration for what these, like whether it's the statisticians that are kind of coming up with all these different values or whether it's like the coaches that are sitting there trying to like preach about what these things are and kind of, I think, and like explain what they really are. Like, I think that's where it really needs to grow. Um, so, like, that's – I think that's really why I want to do my research on the baseball swing and, like, looking at um, – so, like, I'm going to use IMUs. Like I said, those are kind of newer technology. They're – I wouldn't say they're research-grade technology, like a motion capture system. Because I know – I think um, uh, Driveline in um, Washington, I think they're using, like, a K-Vest or something, which is pretty – I think it's, like, a more – it's like a commercial IMU system basically that you put on, like you put all these sensors on and they track 3d and like they track your 3d kinematics or whatever. So I think the big thing is first off validating these, like this type of equipment. And then the next thing is like, how can we make this stuff affordable so that it can be implemented in like, I mean, first off like D one programs and then kind of trickle down, like even the pros, like how can we make this, this technology affordable so that we have like accurate accurate information going out about the like the true kinematics of the swing and things like that and then just kind of building off i know there's some other like new cool tech so like if you look at like the uh there's like the hit track system for baseball or like the rap rep soto does um a couple different things too that kind of they're like they're basically like ball flight trackers that you can use indoors so they kind of give you an idea of exit velocity launch angle and things like that while you're in the cage. So, and then it gives you like a more true. So instead of like, instead of trying to determine if it was a hit or not during live at bats inside of a cage, it, it would literally like tell you where it would fall on the field. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It's incredible. But like, again, that stuff's so expensive. So hopefully like, I'd love to see, I mean, as the field progresses and as that stuff becomes more like available, I'm like, I'm pumped to see kind of where the field of hitting and baseball in general is going because like you see, like you look at weighted baseball, it's like, pitchers are starting like pitchers are starting to figure out how to throw harder and like it's, it's only a matter of time before certain methods of hitting aren't going to work mm-hmm. I think the I think hitting behind pitching and the fact in in the terms of research for sure because of I mean you look at the uptick in UCL injuries everybody like people started researching pitching like crazy first off to prevent injury and then how can we like promote better performance following injury and even how can we prevent injury so like I think if hitting can catch up with the baseball research in terms of like kinematic research and, and then validating some other equipment, I think that's going to be huge. And then, I mean, we kind of talked about it earlier in terms of strength conditioning, but just getting rid of that, that stigma or that, like you said, that dogma that baseball players, they, Oh, they're like, it's not like a big, not that it's a, you don't need to be big and strong, but like, Oh, you don't need to be in great shape to be a great baseball player. I mean, I don't, I, that, 
Um, I think it's just kind of one of those arrogant statements that's just simply not true. You know what I mean? Like you look at the best to play the game right now. You look at guys like Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, J.D. Martinez, and just those guys. Like they're all like jacked. And even like you look at like Jake Arrieta, like, yeah, like you probably can't tell in like a baseball uniform because they're baggy or whatever, but you get those guys in like post-game interviews and they are all stacked. Mm-hmm. Or even looking at like – even like going to games, like those guys, like on TV, sure, they don't look huge like maybe like a football player does. But like you go to a game and those guys are all like cut up and like they're they're strong dudes. So I think getting rid of that idea that baseball players don't need to lift or they don't need to lift heavy or they don't need – they can't get too big. I'm like, I don't think – the average high, even probably the above average high school player, you're not doing enough to get too big in the weight room. And if you are, you're probably not doing it the right way. I would agree with that. And I also would agree in regard to like in women's sports specifically, very similar to what you said about baseball. Um, a lot of, I think, collegiate women's sports, they have a concern with getting quote too bulky. And I, I totally agree with you on that is if they are, quote, too bulk. I mean, there's a lot of, like, psychological stuff, like body dysmorphia yeah, and right. stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, but if you look at it from, like, let's say subjectively, like, we look at it and we're like, yeah, you're not too bulky. Like, based on, like, your performance level, it's <laughs> like, okay, they're either doing it correctly, they're following a program or they're following, you know, an exercise regimen or whatever, nutrition regimen. Whereas like some people are, who are quote too bulky and actually are, you know, exactly what you said, like they're doing something completely different. Not that's, that's not tailored to what they're trying to do. Right. Yep. And yeah, it's interesting because I mean, I see it in, in track and field a lot. I think that's the, people are always like, well, the sprinter is too big. And I'm like, well, it kind of depends what they're running. Like, <laughs> like well, that, I think it, Go ahead. I think like a 400 meter sprinter compared to a hundred meter sprinter, or like even like a 60 meter indoor sprinter is completely different than a person who's running a 400 and 800, like in regard to body composition and um, just general body type. I mean, I mean, you don't see a lot of guys who are five foot eight running the, (laughs) running the 400 or 800, but you know, there's a couple, I mean, I can't, can't disregard them but that's that's just something to think about body composition understand um and then the last thing i was going to discuss is i don't know if you've seen the if you guys any of you guys who are listening listen or watch ufc but randall or uh see daniel cormier who won the heavyweight title as a in ufc like if you look at his body composition he looks fat yeah (laughs) he looks chunky yeah he had to gain so he fights like light heavyweight i think yeah. He had to gain a significant amount of weight to fight in that class, but he was in great shape. So, <laughs> like, so like that's that's the complex. It, it gets it gets weird because it's like the fit versus fat kind of thing. Right. I mean, or like fat fit. You're fat fit. Well, because yeah, yeah, I mean, because I'm, I'm sure that's what you're about to say. But they went in and like looked at his like VO2 max and stuff like that, and it was through the char- it was through the roof. Like yeah. the dude was in such good like aerobic shape, like good like good luck <laughs> yeah exactly like and then he's wanna, a big strong dude like yeah you want to like fight that. a dude who's gonna last all of the rounds easily right <laughs> you wanna fight he's something? gonna go run the marathon too <laughs> yeah he's like gets done with it and he's feeling good okay so anyways just to kind of wrap things up i think ultimately like exactly what you just said big thing is body composition 
I mean, it has some, it has a degree to where you look at it from a sports performance standpoint, but it's, you can't compare apples to oranges for like example, like Instagram models versus bodybuilders versus an athlete who's a performance. It's just, you just can't, you can't compare two sports and throw them together. Um, and that's, it's, it's hard. Cause that's what I think society projects in, in a lot of media. So and it, there well, comes to that dog. Instagram, yeah. Instagram makes it tough. Like, especially like social media, like social media makes body composition stuff like tough. Like, Oh yeah. I mean, even just looking at like bodybuilders and stuff like that. And like, especially like I can only imagine from like a woman's point of view, like just how much stuff's like blasted, like, Oh, do this. And I mean that, that just opened a whole nother can, can of worms of looking at like six quick, exercises to get your abs toned and all this right. different stuff or lose, lose thigh fat. And like, and that, I think that's just a, that's a horse of a different color. They're opening a different can of worms, but yep. yeah, I think social media, I think has, has its benefits, but definitely can be mm-hmm. a really like bad source for information sometimes. Yep. So overall, I think to sum up this last question, exactly what you said, like looking into your resources big thing because like your open-minded approach especially in the field of baseball strength conditioning and performance i think that's something to look into because from a statistical standpoint you can look at stats all day long and um there's there's a degree to which it definitely works um if you can we always i know i always discuss in like research scenarios it's like as peter drucker the famous investor said like what get gets measured gets managed is awesome. But like from a, the art of coaching perspective, it's you have to be able to coach those athletes to get improved numbers. Like you can see yeah, the think, numbers, but you have to be a good coach right. to perf- increase that's, performance. And I think that's where baseball lacks is bridging that gap between academia and literature and actually putting it onto the field. And I think that's where, I mean, you look at guys like Driveline right now, like they're doing some big things of like really trying to make sure like they understand the science, but what are, what can they do or what can other like young professionals, and I mean, I shouldn't even limit to young, but what can other like baseball professionals do? Like, for example, in my shoes, like that have an understanding of biomechanics, that have an understanding of the exercise science world, like what can we do to make sure that that information is facilitated or disseminated to youth coaches, high school coaches, and then making sure like just it's just knowledge that everybody has. And I think everybody's so afraid like that. Like everybody wants to have these like like these iconic ideas, but then nobody wants to share them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing, like, especially like especially in sports. Like we're all playing the same game, man. Like and it's been played for how long? Like game like baseball's been played since like late like mid to late eighteen hundreds. Mm-hmm. Like your thought probably isn't that new you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like for, for a coach to sit there and say oh i'm not gonna i'm not gonna tell you what we're doing it's just i think that's just kind of crazy like sure you want to keep a competitive edge but at the same time if you're doing something that's truly that original it shouldn't be a problem because it's your thought and like it's it's just one of those things like it, i don't know it's it's just one of those overwhelming things that i think people are sometimes too like protective of of their thoughts and ideas when really, I mean, unless you're sitting, it's not like you're handing like your scouting report to like the opposing team. So you right. know how you're facing, right? It's you're, you're sharing methods, you're sharing like ideas, 
and who knows if they're even going to use it or use it properly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just like, be willing to share your thoughts, be willing to like facilitate information. Cause I'm a big believer. It's like, if what goes around comes around and if you're open-minded and if you kind of pay it forward, I think good things, good, good things will happen. Yeah, I totally agree. So overall guys, I think if you need to contact Jake or I, um, slide into our DMs, uh, message us on the social media, on the social media, <laughs> on social media, back in the day, the old internet. Um, but yeah, <laughs> um, just give us a message, um, and shoot us an email or any information that you have questions about or concerns about, because we'd love to reach out and contact you because, you know, I mean, talking here, like, Jake has a lot more knowledge of and in, in information in regard to the field of baseball than I do. And so like, I would love if you have any questions and I'm sure he would love to answer those. So sure. uh, overall, I want to thank, thank you for coming on today. This has been yeah. awesome. I mean, yeah, it's been a minute, man. I appreciate you having me on. We've been, we've been trying forever to get on here. So, <laughs> it's been a couple of months. Yeah. So overall, I think, like I said, if you guys need to reach out for us, let us know.